0: Today we'll be turning to the book of Jonah. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn to the book of Jonah. And we're in a sermon series called Jonah. And while you're turning there, I have something very special in front of me. You may have noticed this one right here. Isn't that beautiful? This is Pastor Randy's old pulpit. If you've been coming here for a few years, you'd know that. This is Pastor Randy's pulpit. And this is a great object lesson, object reminder every week that God is faithful, he has been with us, he will be with us, and he will be doing something new. God will be taking what is here and doing something new with it. When I came, this beautiful pulpit was out there, and it was not being used, and uh, it was way too big. Randy was a big guy, and so it was ridiculously sized for me. Uh, But we had Fred McGowan come and uh, reshape it, resize it, so that I, (laughs) I can fit behind it. And uh, did a great job. And sometimes when we go through difficult times, we forget that God is with us, and we don't see what God is doing, but God is always with us, and he's always doing something. And the Lord was doing amazing things when Pastor Randy was here, and the Lord was doing amazing things these last eight years, and he's bringing something new out of all that he's done, because he had a purpose for it, he had a reason for it, he had a plan for it, and we're going to see the fruit of that. And if you've been paying attention, we've already been seeing a lot of that fruit already. We baptized nine people this fall. And so it's super exciting, right? Not only did we baptize uh, new believers in Christ uh, as adults, but we baptized kids, we baptized teens. And so God is working through all of the different ministries here. He's working through our kids' ministry. He's working through our youth ministry. We dedicated four children just last Sunday. We have 11 people looking to become new members We have 35 youth coming every Sunday night. We have 60 plus kids enrolled in KinderCastle and they have a ton of momentum. And so God is doing new things and may he give us eyes to see it and a heart to thank him for it. And let's pray that God would bless the ministry here and reach people for his son Jesus, Lord, we thank you so much for the people here who have been so faithful to this ministry, God, who have committed to it, the members, the people here who give, who serve, so that your gospel can go forward. Lord, as we look at the last few years, what could be more important than a stable community that loves each other and loves you to give support as we go through this world? Lord, we pray that you would continue to bless this church, that you'd lead us deeper into love for each other and love for you that we can reach more people for Christ and disciple each other and sharpen each other more and more as time goes on. Lord, we thank you for what you've done in the past. We thank you for what you've done this fall, and we look forward to what you'll do in the future. And Lord, we pray today that you would convict us with your word, that we can follow it, open our eyes, open our hearts, to believe your word more, that we can love you more, that we can serve you more. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Recently... uh, Sarah and I went to, well, not so recently now, a few years ago now, Sarah and I went to buy our first new couch ever. We always had used furniture and went to buy our first new couch, and uh, I've never bought a warranty in my adult life, ever, ever once, because I just did the math once, and I looked at how expensive warranties are, and I thought, well, if I just save the money on warranties, I could replace anything that breaks just out of cash two to three times over if I just save money and don't spend it on the warranties. And so I've never bought a warranty in my life. And when I told to my friends this, he goes, why have you bought it? And I explained it all to him. He goes, yeah, that makes sense. And he goes, I'm buying a TV here this week. Would you go with me? Because they always talk me into the warranties. They always tell me how it's going to break and I need the warranty. I need you with me to stay strong so that I can follow through on this. And so I said, sure, I'd love to come with you. So we go to the store And the salesman, he's got all these great TVs. And all he says is how amazing each TV. This TV is incredible. It's 85 inches. It's got the newest form of plasma. Look at the picture. Look at the color. Look at the definition. Look at the sound on this television. And my friend picks out this giant, expensive TV. And then the salesman, all right, come on back to me but in the back. And we'll start filling out the papers. So we go back to the desk. He turns to my friend and says, now, you're going to want to get the warranty. He says, these things go out all the time. You wouldn't believe how handy these warranties are. I'm in here, and every day someone's coming in with a warranty. And I said, I thought you said how amazing this TV is. Like, what are you talking about? What can go wrong with a TV so amazing? Oh, you'd be surprised. (laughs) Sometimes they just go black on you, and that's it. The power supplies explode. The, spe- the speakers start go out, I stop working. I, I was in here the other day, and a guy brought in his plasma in a bucket with a TV and said, it just leaked out the bottom. And you wouldn't believe how handy it is. You wanna be, don't want to be caught in a situation like that. You don't want to be sitting there watching TV with a puddle of plasma on your floor without a warranty. And I said, you just talked yourself out of a sale, mister. I'm not going to buy this TV. We're going some. Come on, friend, let's go somewhere else. This guy's going to have to cut the price down on this piece of junk if we're ever going to think of buying such a... Old. And the guy, <laughs> <and> but, <laughs> but what you believe, you act on, right? What do you believe you act on? And my friend, looking at this TV, all of a sudden just believes it's gonna, he just can't handle it. He goes, I'll take it. I'll take the warranty. I don't want to be sitting at home. I don't want to come in with my plasma in a bucket. <laughs> and I'm sitting there, and I'm, I'm listening to this, and I'm thinking about this as I'm buying my first new couch. Now, I've never bought a new couch before. And I've never feared for my couch before in my life. <laughs> but I was in the same position. And I warned to the, the um, salesman is telling me all the things that can go wrong with my couch. And he says, do you have kids? <laughs> and all of a sudden, I think back to home. And I remember my son, this is my oldest son there. He's crying because his orange crayon broke. But I remember looking in the eyes of my son after he grabbed all those crayons and went right across the paper, right across the table, and created a rainbow all across the table. And I feared for my couch. And I wanted that warranty because the man made me believe that trouble was in our future. And we really do act on what we believe. It's really important what we believe. And here we're going to look at what Jonah believes. And we're going to ask ourselves what we believe. And let's start reading in Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 1. We talked about this last week. It said, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amity, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. And last week we talked about how this language, it talks about God's impending judgment. Their evil has come up before me. And we saw the Lord use that language in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and how the Lord used that language in the people of Canaan. And what happened was the Lord went down and looked at the evil that came up before him in Sodom and Gomorrah and judged the city. They had become so thoroughly wicked. There was no one there who would love the Lord and their evil needed to be stopped. A loving God doesn't let evil go unchecked. And so God loves the world way too much to let what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah continue. The violence, the evil, God does not want people to experience that. And so he came in, he knows all, and he judged Sodom and Gomorrah. And sometimes we don't wait to stand before the throne of God before he judges us. The Lord knows our hearts. He knows when people have thoroughly rejected him. And he knows when it's better off, the loving thing to do is to remove that evil from the world. And we talked about how even in that situation, because of God's amazing love, how he wants every single person saved. No love is higher, no love is wider, no love is deeper than the love of the Lord. Even then, he sends people down into Sodom and Gomorrah to take out anybody who loves him. Is it anybody who loves me? And he sends his angels down, and he finds one man and his family, and it's not even his whole family. And he gets them out of there, because our God is a God who saves and so every single person who loves the Lord was saved from Sodom and Gomorrah. God loves us so much that he sends messengers beforehand. And we read about how this language is the same that's used from the Canaanites in Deuteronomy chapter one uh, 7. The Lord tells Israel, I'm going to use you to go in and you're going to kill everyone in this land. And God judges that land because they've so thoroughly rejected him. And he loves people too much to let that go on. And we talked about how God isn't a hasty God. He desires the death of no one. He desires everyone to be saved. And so what he does to the land of Canaan, he gives them 400 years. In Genesis chapter fifteen, sixteen, I believe he says, Abraham, I'm going to give you this land, but I have to wait for 400 years because the sin of the inhabitants is not yet complete. And so God, being a loving God, gives people every chance to repent. God, being a good God, is going to save every person who loves him. God is going to make sure that every person who would love him is reached with his gospel. And God uses his messengers before to save people in Sodom. He gives people time and sends messengers for the land of Canaan. And now the land of Nineveh is going down the same path. When you read this passage, when you read Jonah, you realize what's going to happen to Nineveh. The evil has come up before them, before God, and this is not good. The Lord is going to judge Nineveh. And so what does he do? Well, God loves the people of Nineveh. He created every single one of them. He knows why he created everything. He knows what's special and unique about every single person and wants to save everyone. And so what does he do? Well, he sends Jonah And it says, You go. You have to go. For their evil has come up before me. Like, I can't let this go on. So, you've got to go and spread the message. You've got to go and tell them to turn to me so that anybody who loves me can be saved. We talked last week about how our cultures are not like a lot, how our culture is a lot like Nineveh. Uh, Frankly, it's a lot like Sodom and Gomorrah. When pastors get in trouble all the time, all these people on TV, whenever there's a hurricane somewhere, they say, oh, it's the Lord's judgment against their evil. And you know, I don't, know. I don't know. I can't say either way. I don't know what God is doing in the spiritual world. I don't know what acts of tragedy are God's judgment, what are, what are circumstances. We do know from the scriptures that God will judge. But as far be it for me to say who and when he's judged and why. The Lord has not spoken to me on those. I'm not a prophet. In the scriptures, the Lord speaks to his prophets and tells people when it is judgment and when it is not. And so I don't wanna get in trouble and say that I know when the Lord is judging or when he, if he's going to judge. But when I look at our culture and I look at Sodom and Gomorrah and I look at Nineveh, it doesn't look good. I mean, we celebrate as a culture many of the things that got those nations destroyed. And so when you look at the United States, I don't know where we're at in that process. I don't know how much of our evil has come up before the Lord, if you want to put it in those terms, but it can't be good. And who has he sent to our culture? He sent you. And in this passage today, we're going to look at Jonah and we're going to say, where is Jonah when all this is happening? God's judgment is coming on these people. And and where is Jonah? And we're ask ourselves, where are we? Where have we been? I'm looking at Chapter one, verse three, where is Jonah? It said, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. And Jonah goes the wrong way. And you look at this and you think, how could you do that, Jonah? Like, don't you hear God? Don't you hear what he's saying to you? How could you hear? Think about that. How could you hear the word of the Lord and do the exact opposite? It's baffling. Haven't you asked to hear God in your life? Haven't you said, Lord, speak to me? Here Jonah has God speaking to him, and he does the exact opposite. Now, the interesting thing is he just doesn't he just doesn't go across the street. He just doesn't go to the next town. He goes to the farthest point away in the known world. So Israel, Nineveh Nineveh would be east of Israel by about 500 miles southwest. And if you look at what's west of Israel, there's the sea and then Europe. And he goes all the way to the farthest point in Spain. It was the farthest point in the known world that you could even get away from at this point. God tells him to go this way. And he is 100% committed to not doing that. There's no way you're getting Jonah to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not a chance. God says, Go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, I am going. The rebellion in him is so thick. I'm not just going to go and go away. Across the street, I'm not going to go down the road. I'm going as far as I can get. Lord, there's no way I'm going to do what you commanded. And what have we been doing? We ask the Lord to speak to us, and we have his word. We have God's word as well. And what does it tell us to do? And where have we been? When you look at something like this, you have to say, what's gone wrong in Jonah's heart? Does he not know what's going to happen to the people of Nineveh if he doesn't go and preach the gospel to them? Does he not believe it? Does he not know what happens to people apart from Jesus Christ? I remember when we first started having kids, I had the interesting experience of loving God. My children and needing to keep them safe and teach them things. And I had the interesting experience of seeing that uh, my kids would rebel against me, even in the most obvious of situations where they needed to be safe, like the street. We've got a huge yard, lots of places to play. And they start going to the street, and I say, No, don't go down there. And they'd look at me, and they'd smile, and they'd run right out in the street. And I would have to take their little hand and I have to say, look, out in the middle of the road lies sure and certain destruction. You will become a smudge. (laughs) All up and down this road, your short life will be over before you know it. Turn from the road and look at this amazing place that God has given you to play. Go onto this grass and live. Turn from the road and live. And they had no idea what I'm saying to them because they're two. And they look at me and they go, ha 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 ha. And back out into the road they would go. And they didn't know the sure and certain destruction that awaited them. They just didn't know it. They'd never seen it. They're two years old. I can't describe it to them. And they run out into the road. And is this Jonah's problem? It's not, as we're going to read the scriptures, it's actually not Jonah's problem. Jonah's is something different. But as we're looking at why we're not spreading the gospel in our lives, and if we are, praise the Lord. But if we're not sharing the gospel with people, there's a variety of things that could be going wrong. The first is that we don't actually believe God. God. We don't know the destruction that's coming. We've never seen it. We live in such an amazing world. We live in such an incredible country. We've never experienced suffering. And do you believe what happens apart from Jesus Christ that the word of God tells us? I remember I preached about six years ago And I'm going through the scriptures, and I come across hell, and we preached on hell. We did a three-week sermon series on hell. And what people usually do when they come to church is they hear a message about God's love and how he loves you. And then we say, if you want to make a commitment to Christ, we've got a card in the bulletin. Check the box and commit your life to Jesus Christ. What does that mean? What does that mean to commit to Christ? And most people I don't it means to commit to receiving his blessings. I want God. I want his blessings. And so I'm going to check the box. And there's a lot of reasons to love the Lord. And I came to the Lord because I wanted his blessings. I needed him. This world is hard. I needed him. There's so many reasons to love the Lord, the purpose that he brings to our every day, the message that I'm not just a random accident of chance, but God knows me and he created me and he wants me. There's so many reasons to love the Lord, but a relationship with the Lord does not begin because you desire his blessings. That is not how we are made right with God. Desiring his blessings does not make us right with God. That's not why Jesus came to die on the cross. He came to die on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And when we make a commitment to Christ, what does that mean? The only commitment that leads us into a relationship with the Lord is one where we repent of our sin and trust in the Lord for his forgiveness. That is how we begin a relationship with Jesus. And I don't know if people know that. And I preach this message, and there's a couple, the sweetest couple I've ever met, They loved the Lord with all their heart. They grew up in church. They came every week. They heard the message about how to check the box on the back of the bulletin and this is how you become a Christian. You don't become a Christian by checking a box on the back of a bulletin. Now, at different points, we'll do that here because it tells us who is interested in a relationship with God and we'll follow up and we'll make sure, we'll invite them to be baptized. But being baptized isn't gonna save them either. At some point, you've got to make it clear that you are a sinner going to hell. And unless you repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ, not only will you not have a relationship with him because you are not made right with him, but you will go to hell. And if you want to go to heaven, what you need to do is you need to repent of your sin. And we talked about this. We talked about hell and what it is. And this couple had never heard that before and it changed their life, and they left the church to go become missionaries, and I had no idea. I was so sad I was losing this couple, and then I listened to their testimony, and this guy, he he spends all of his time now down in Minneapolis spreading the gospel to these refugees who come from other countries. There's massive communities that don't know the Lord that live right in our borders. And I know there's plenty of people who grew up in this country who have no idea who Jesus is. I was watching this guy. He's fantastic. Uh, And he he goes through all the oldies and teaches you about the song structure and everything and what makes this song fantastic and what makes it unique. And I listened to him go through and he does this thing where he goes on Spotify. He looks at the top 10 songs listened to on Spotify and goes, what are people doing? Why are they listening to this? And no one's listening to these artists from not even that long ago. And so he goes out and he does interviews with people and he says, have you heard of Jimi Hendrix? People don't know who Jimi Hendrix is. He says, have you heard about the Beatles? There are are people out there who don't know the Beatles. Do you think people are going to know Jesus? The Beatles were 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Jesus is 2,000 years ago. He's not on Spotify. People aren't going to run across him. If you're not going to run across the Beatles, you're not going to run across Jesus. If people don't tell other people about stuff, it goes away. And that's what happens to every generation of music. That's going to happen to Jesus if you don't tell people about him. And here this guy goes and he tells everybody about Jesus. He goes down into these people in Minneapolis and he spreads the gospel and he shares these stories. They're incredible. I had no idea why he was doing this. And then one day I listened to his testimony and his wife's testimony. He said, we'd never thought about it before. What happens to people apart from Christ? And then our pastor preached on hell. We sing songs every week about salvation. What do we think we're being saved from? It's hell. It's God's judgment. And here God's judgment is coming on Nineveh. Whether God judges the United States of America early or the people stand before him and find out then they're going to be judged. They're going to have to answer for this sin. And who has God asked to tell them? Who shared the gospel with you? Who told you about Jesus Christ? We had a kinder castle program a few weeks ago. It was fantastic. It was a Christmas program. And all the kids, all the little kids were up here. I was blown away at how they sang. It was amazing. I've never seen kids so brave singing like that. It was fantastic. I hope you were able to see it. And I was talking with Trent in the back. Trent is the guy right here who plays the piano, if you haven't met Trent yet. And we're just talking about who brought him to Christ. And he said, yeah, I came to Christ right there when I was in second grade. It's because of the people who give that we can have a school here to teach kids. It's about the people who serve. And there's many ways to spread the gospel, and you can spread the gospel by serving in the kids' area. That's one of the best ways to spread the gospel is to teach kids about the Lord. Tonight, there'll be 35 kids here coming for youth group. An incredible way to spread the gospel is to serve in youth group. We have a, another person who joined the worship team this week. An incredible way to spread the gospel is to worship the Lord publicly. Coming to church is a way to spread the gospel and worshiping Jesus that's the way to spread the gospel. You come and you worship, and other people notice the worship that takes place, and they look more at what we're talking about, and they open their hearts up to the Lord. Giving is the way to spread the gospel. There's all these ways to spread the gospel, but it certainly includes more than that. It includes you going out to people who don't know the Lord and telling them about Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38. It says, Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. What did Jesus do? He went from village teaching and synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and affliction. A lot of times we think that to love people means to do nice things for them. But it's not loving to feed people who are on the way to hell and not tell them about Jesus. There's this interesting thing that's been going on in the church. I don't know where it come from. I don't know if you've heard it. But people will say, we just need to love people. We just, no strings attached. The church, we just need to love people. There's that quote that is both good and terrible. It's, Preach the gospel if necessary, use words. I have some bad news for you if you didn't want to tell people about Jesus Christ. You can't preach the gospel to people without words. If you make somebody who's hungry a sandwich, it will not save their soul. They have to put their faith in Jesus Christ. We have this thing in Minnesota. It's called the drive-through difference where I'm from. And the radio station started it. And you go and you pay for the person's coffee behind you. And they talk about, like, this is the most amazing thing ever. The people don't need another cup of coffee. They don't need more sugar. They need Jesus Christ. And if you don't tell them they're going to hell, no matter how many cups of coffee you've given them, you haven't done anything And yet, you think you've loved them. It is unloving to withhold the gospel from people. And you can't ease your guilt with no matter how many nice things you do. And you can't follow the Lord no matter how many nice things you do until you tell people about Him. Because where are they headed? When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, I pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into this harvest. And what did he call the disciples to do? To go and spread the gospel. If you look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 It says go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold I am with you always to the end of the age God has given us that And we look at John and we say haven't you heard his word what are you doing But we've heard his word as well. We have his word. It's right here. And he's told us what to do. And where have we been? The people around us who don't know the Lord, do we know what's happening to them? They're going to hell. What kind of person withholds the gospel from someone who is going to hell? What kind of love is that? Either we don't believe what's going to happen to them, we don't love them, God has sent Jonah, and what plan are you following? I use everything I can to turn it into an invite to church. Here's a text thread. You probably can't read it because it's too small. But I'm trying to buy a fence. I don't know any non-believers here. I don't know anybody here. I'm new. And so I'm trying to get a fence installed. I'm getting quotes and things like that. One of the guys who came out and measured my fence left his tape measure. And so I sent him a picture of it. You can see the very bottom of the tape measure up there. I said, is this one of your guys' tape measures? He said, yes. I said, great, if you're in Butler, come grab it. Otherwise, if I'm in Pleasant Hill, I'll bring it by. I said, I'm also at Harrisonville Community Church a lot because that's where I work. So you could text and see if I'm there too. He says, okay, I appreciate it. We'll catch up this week. I said, maybe come join us for church on Sunday and pick it up afterwards. (laughs) He says, LOL, we are out of town, but we do go to church, Abundant Life and Lee's Summit. i just use everything I can. Why not? Come pick it up at church. And you know what people tell me? Every time I invite somebody to church, they say, Oh, we go to the mega church. We go to the church, the big one. They don't go to the big one. I know, because I've talked with them enough. I get to know them. They don't go there. They went there once, they've never been since. But they don't want to say they don't go to church. So keep inviting people, keep on them. If anything says, if, any, if statistics tell us anything, they're not in church. I haven't done the research here, but 17%, you can know because all the churches report and denominations, they put out statistics where I'm from. 17% of the people are in church on a Sunday. And assuming all of those people are saved, which they're not, but assuming all of them, that's only 17% of the population that's going to heaven. And so invite people to church. If they say that they go to church, don't let them off the hook. They're lying. Call them to repentance and bring them back to church. You've got to go. What do you do to go? What does it look like? To, to, I, don't, I don't know any well, well, the first thing I do is I got to know some unbelievers. So what I do is I always get to know my neighbors. I invite them over. I get to know my neighbors. It's the first thing I do to spread the gospel. Pretty soon I run out of neighbors. So then I go to new places I found a thing online called meetup.com. I don't know what there is here yet, but meetup.com was pretty big where I'm from. And so I'd go online and see what's happening. I found a dad's group, a stay-at-home dad's group. Now, I work a lot of evenings and weekends because that's when you guys are available. And so during the day, there's not a ton to do. And so one of the things I did is I joined a dad's group. And all these guys whose wives make the money, they go to groups together and they go and drink. And so I'd show up and I'd go... And I do these events with them. The first thing that happens when I walk in, it's the first question I get anywhere when anybody finds I'm a pastor. They say, is this thing a sin? I got a brother who's doing this thing. We love him. What do you think about that? Do you love him too? I say, everywhere I go, it's the same thing. I said, yes, we love him too. Now that is a sin. And to know the Lord, he's going to have to repent of that sin, but we love him. and That's why we spread the gospel, because we want him to know the Lord. And I shared this a few weeks ago, but I'm repeating it again, because uh, a lot of people said it was so helpful, and I think it's genuinely helpful. Whenever somebody asks you about a sin, don't spend time arguing about the sin. Just take it to Jesus and tell them about Jesus and ask them to repent of their sin and believe in Jesus. Is this thing a sin? Yes, it's a sin. But I sin every day. And I'm forgiven by Jesus. That's how I'm made right with God. How are you made right with God? And would you like to come to church and find out more about Jesus? And so the first thing I do, I walk into the dad's group, and I got a chance to spread the gospel in the first five minutes. And when people find out I'm a pastor, they'll always ask me about this sin, because everybody's got somebody in their family who's doing it. It's an incredible opportunity to spread the gospel. I Googled, what is there to do? What are people doing? I found out that there's this board game group that was meeting in a restaurant on Tuesday nights. So I got people from church and we went and played board games. Talk about an amazingly easy time to spread the gospel. If you're not spreading the gospel, you have to ask yourself, why? There's no persecution. You can go out and talk about Jesus. The only persecution is Satan making you not want to say anything about the Lord. The only persecution is a spiritual battle. And if you want to grow in your faith, overcome that spiritual battle. I'm telling you, when I haven't shared my faith for a while, and then I go out and I tell somebody about Jesus, you know, you just feel Satan. Ooh, don't tell anybody about Jesus. And they're going to think you're weak. And you tell somebody, and your faith, it's like an incredible spiritual moment. If you want to grow in your faith, if you're not growing your faith, if you're not in love with Jesus, if you're not excited to come to church, if you're not reading your Bible, it's probably because you're not sharing the gospel. And you're losing that battle spiritually. And we start rejecting God's commands in one area of our life. It's not long before we start rejecting his commands more and more. And in other areas, we don't share the gospel with anybody. Pretty soon, we're not reading the Bible ourselves. Pretty soon, we're not praying. Pretty soon, we don't want to go to church. And the answer is to spread the gospel. We went and played board games with these people. They find out I'm a pastor. They look at me like I've got three eyes. They didn't come to hear the gospel. They don't want to talk to me. I just received immediate pushback. These people wouldn't even talk to me. I remember these people, they were nuts. These board game people, I'm, that's, that's what they do. They love board games. Some of these people had an idol of their board games. I remember this one guy gave me a box, you know, everybody brings their board games and uh, we picked one out and he goes, that's mine. Oh cool. Did you not want me to use it? No, you can use it, just be careful. And it was brand new. And I go to pop out the pieces to the board game. And you know how sometimes when you pop out a piece, a little bit of the piece stays with the rest of it? And he saw that and he comes over and goes, What are you doing? What are you doing to my board game? Oh sorry, man, I didn't realize. Well let me just tell you, I didn't share the gospel with anybody at that place. They were nuts. I realized the best thing for me to do is shut up. They look like, <laughs> be like they hated me. But I brought my friends. And they're not pastors. And over time, some of those walls broke down and we're able to have spread the gospel to them and share the gospel. And many of those people got invited to church. Some of them came to church. And who in your life do you spend time with like that who doesn't know the gospel? Who do you spend time with over and Over. A lot of times after we believe in Jesus for a while, all of our friends end up being Christians. And if all of our friends are Christians, that is incredibly unchrist like of us. Who did Jesus spend time with? You can't follow Jesus by only hanging around Christians. We've got little cards on the seats. I want you to take the card. I want you to fill out the name of somebody who you're going to share the gospel with not somebody that you're just going to do something nice for. Take out the card and share the gospel. That's what Jesus has commanded us to do. In a few months, we're going to have another sermon series on outreach. I'm going to ask you, where's your card? I want you to take your card, put it in your Bible. Three months is going to go by, and we're going to do this sermon series on outreach. And you're going to take that out of your Bible, and you're going to realize you've done nothing to share the gospel in three months. We're going to ask ourselves, why? Why? And what are we waiting for? How many people have died in those three months? What could we have done? Have we spent our time going to an unbeliever and loving them? People are valuable. Matthew 10, if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. Have you read in the Bible what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah? Do you know what's going to happen to those people all around you? We've got to go to them. People are valuable. This is how valuable people are. In Luke chapter 15, verse 4, It says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need repentance, and we think we're loving people. We convince, I love people so much. I love them so much. I go and I buy them a coffee, and I don't even let them know the gospel. I go out and I help people, and I don't push anything on them ever. I just love people, and the Bible says you don't. Sorry. Maybe I came across too strong on that one. I didn't mean to make you cry. Sometimes it's hard to know how to push. If you don't push, people don't care, but then if you push, they cry. (laughs) And if you love people, you'll share the gospel with them. This is the kind of love that God has. Ask yourself, if I'm not spreading the gospel, is it because I don't know what's going to happen and I don't believe? And if I don't believe, why? Why do I think this isn't God's word? Why do I not trust what it says? And then let's talk about that. That happens. We read parts of the Bible and say, what in the world is that? I don't know if I believe this thing. And if that's you, let's talk about it. Let's figure out why you don't believe the word of God. And if you believe the word of God and you're not doing anything, why? Is it because you don't love people? Think about that. Think about God's love for people. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. We memorize that in Iwana. A lot of people haven't read the verses that come after that. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Praise the Lord. But whoever does not believe is condemned already. We don't go to heaven by default. It's actually the opposite. Humanity has rejected the Lord and stands under his judgment. Because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And the way to heaven is belief in Jesus. And Jonah, his issue is not that he doesn't understand we're going to read. His issue is that he does not, not that he does not understand what happens to people apart from the Lord. Jonah actually understands God's judgment very, very well. He just doesn't love people. In Jonah chapter 4, he prayed to the Lord and said, "Oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. The whole city of Nineveh repents when Jonah preaches God's word to them. And we're going to read about this in a few weeks. And Jonah says, I knew this would happen. This is why I didn't preach the word. For I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Jonah's ticked because they're saved. He doesn't love them. That's why he doesn't want to spread the gospel. He doesn't love them. The first time I ever flew on an airplane was after September 2001. I never experienced the incredible joy of being able to travel rationally in my life from one place to the next. Those of you who flew before 2001, you know the wonder that it was to fly on an airplane. You could go 15 minutes before and you could be somewhere an hour later it's incredible. I never knew that. The first time I went on an airplane, I brought all my things that I need, all my toothpaste, all my shampoo, my deodorant, everything. And I got through the line. and said, said nope, can't come on the plane. I said, why? They said, you have a travel-sized toothpaste. You could blow up the plane. Fine. And then I threw it out. Whatever. Let me on the plane. It's 10 cents of toothpaste, and they held up my shampoo. You can't bring this either. No problem. And I threw away all this garbage because I didn't care about it at all. It's all travel stuff. It's easy to let go of that and go forward. And that's what we treat people like. They're going to hell. They're not coming with I didn't fight. Okay, fine. Throw it all away. And that's how much we value people. We convince ourselves we love people. I love them so much. I love them so much. But what the Lord would say is you don't love them at all. Zero. Shift your thinking. You love them zero if you don't share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. You love them as much as you do a bottle of travel toothpaste. You fight for them as hard as you do. A bottle of travel shampoo at the airport. You don't put up any fight. You don't do anything. And is that you? You look at Joni and you say, what's wrong with this guy? And the Lord would say, take the speck out of your eye. Take the log out of your eye before you look at the speck in someone else's. I was able to share my faith a few years ago this guy at this party comes up and he's drinking like they always are. And he comes up and he says, Hey, finds out I'm a pastor. Hey, I got this guy. And he's a great guy. And his daughter died. What do you think of that? And I said, what do you, do you mean, why do bad things happen to good people? And he thinks about it and goes, Yeah. And I go, That's one of the biggest questions around. There's entire books written on this. What am I going to say? And, he, and I start. Well, and he goes. Hold on, I gotta go to the bathroom. And he goes to the bathroom. I'm thinking, this man is going to give me eight seconds. He's got eight seconds of attention span. That's what people have. They've got eight seconds. If you can't say something to them in eight seconds, they won't listen. They've done studies that people come into church and they make a decision on whether they're not, they're going to stay or not and come back in eight seconds. I'd love to think that my sermons matter. We don't get anywhere close to the sermons. We're barely in the door. It's eight seconds. It's the same thing out of church. This guy, I've got eight seconds if he's going to decide to listen to me. How am I going to boil down the biggest problem in life in eight seconds? And I'm like, Lord, give me something to say. And so he comes back out of the bathroom. And I go, well... The Lord's not responsible for evil, but he plans to fix it. What will you do? Will you follow him or not? And eight seconds he goes, Oh, the Lord's not responsible. What do you know? And he goes on to something else. What about your Dodge Charger? Man, that thing's sweet. Got a hemi? He doesn't care. I care. He doesn't care about the Lord. Oh, I got to share the gospel with him. I spent time with him. Spend time with his wife. Pretty soon she's going to church. Pretty soon she's dragging him to church. Pretty soon they're listening to Christian music. Pretty soon they got a sticker of Jesus on the back of their car. Are you reaching people for Christ? Are you telling them about him? Jonah wouldn't do it because he didn't love people. Do you love people? Jonah says, I knew you'd save. Jonah's got incredible faith in the Lord. He just doesn't (laughs) love people. He knows if I tell them, they'll repent. Not everybody, but many. And there are people in your life who will repent and believe the Lord. They will. They're waiting. Jesus says the problem is not that there's not enough people that are going to go to heaven. The harvest is plentiful. I just have no one who will go out and work for me. Jonah wouldn't do it. And will you?